I think that some art, it's okay to leave open for interpretation and for some artists to feel like that, but that can be dangerous. So really stating where you're coming from and what you believe in is becoming a lot more important. Hello and welcome to AI Arts In, the podcast produced by Creative Pinellas. I'm Barbara St. Clair, your host, and I am with Pat Locker, the photo-based artist. I don't necessarily always use a camera or always know what an image is going to look like before I make it. So a lot of my work, I know how I'm going to make it, but I don't know what it's going to look like in the end. So a lot of people talk about the difference between painting and photography, where painting, you add everything in, and photography, you subtract out everything you don't want just to keep what you do. I kind of work in both ways. In my processes, I will work in very painterly ways where I, I really am starting with nothing, and then I add in elements, whether that's using glow-in-the-dark artifacts that are found in the dark room, such as glow-in-the-dark tape, or even the more photo-specific objects that glow in the dark in a dark room, such as timers and thermostats that are just in the room built into the architecture. But other times I will just be very photocentric and know what I want to include. So you said sometimes you don't use a camera, and I thought photography required a camera. Some of the first photography didn't use cameras. They were photograms, and that's a lot of what I make. So it is one of the oldest forms of photography or photo-based processes that just involves placing objects on photosensitive paper and exposing it to light. So it almost has an x-ray kind of look, but not always. So a lot of what I do uses things that are, they're made to help make photographs, but not to make the photograph itself. So for instance, when I use the flashlights on my phone, I'm either inserting my phone into the back of my 4x5 camera and turning it into an enlarger by shining the light through the lens from the inside of the camera to create my enlarger to expose my paper to make the photograms. Or the other way I use my flashlight of my phone is when I'm making photograms to expose the paper, I take a picture of the object on the paper with the flash of my camera. So I'm actually making a photograph of the object on the paper, but you never see that. It's just a way, it's a weird kind of hidden technique of the process. So asking these questions of what value does a film negative have? If I can just take a picture of anything, like bring it into the world out of this digital space. It's what's always been done with photography. You capture something that's in physical space bring it onto a two-dimensional space, or now a digital space, and then you spit it back out into physical space as a print. I kind of came to photography a little late in my artistic life. It was the last class that I had to take in community college in order to transfer. So black and white photo was my first class and that was right before I transferred to UCLA. At UCLA, I did traditional color darkroom 
photography. So I would say 95% of the work that I did before grad school was camera-based photography. But I always did photograms. And now I think the region has gotten to me. So it's really, really hot in Tampa. And I think that has kind of encouraged me to stay indoors. So don't go out into the world to take photographs, like see what photographs I can make inside. You're very young in your career and yet you have had some shows and participated in some exhibits that put you next to artists who are at the pinnacle of their career, the Skyway show. So my pieces in there, yeah, those are all from my first semester in grad school. Two photograms that are made with, it's called a X-cube or a cross-splitting prism. It's like a cube shape, like a die, like a six-sided die, you know, like a small fist size. You shoot white light into one of the faces and then red, green, and blue light come out the other three faces. And if you shoot it in at a corner, then it breaks it into secondary colors and so on. And the light is coming from my camera phone in the back going through my 4x5 camera and seeing the different like line qualities that I can get with this prism using tools in ways that they are not designed to be used. So flipping the idea of a camera, like you want the inside of a camera to be light tight. You want light come in, mm -hmm. not to come out. Using a flashlight as a kind of a beam, like a, a pointed light source. The prism itself is used in kind of like LCD projectors. So using that as a tool to create images of itself instead of images of other things. And then the other element to it is bringing the dichroic film, which is inside of the prism, which gives it its characteristics of light splitting properties, bringing that film back onto the surface of the piece. So that color film that you see has similar properties to the film inside the cube. Something that's dichroic, it means two colors, so it, it lets light of one frequency in while blocking another. And when you block a frequency, that's that's reflection. I I decided to do that just to, to reference back to the object that was used to make the photogram to and to give it more of an objectness itself, the piece. So the dichroic film, it looks one color at one angle of view and changes at another. It's reflective, like a mirror. It looks one color on its surface, but then the shadow it casts is another color. Yeah, it's this weird material with weird properties that I just kind of stumbled upon. Somebody posted their kind of response to the photograms. Their initial comment was, taking a photo of at ghost babe, taking a photo of me while taking a selfie. There's a research project in here about the gender nonconforming experience, technology, social media, and art. So I thought that was really poignant and very insightful. So I reached out to them and they said, I'm beginning to study the relationship people have to technology and how the internet, new media, and devices like phones have changed our ideas of self and community. Thousands of people only exist as their true selves online. Trans and gender non-conforming people are the easiest example. Your use of the iPhone flashlight made the connection between identity, presentation, and representation, and technology jump out. 
The piece reflected us back to ourselves almost perfectly like a mirror, but the angle meant that passers-by wouldn't see what we saw, and the color meant that we saw a more vibrant, more beautiful version of ourselves than the rest of the world sees. This handle is London Means Wild, just to give credit. So these were things that I had started to think about after I made the pieces, but I wasn't sure if it was like reaching too far because nothing on the wall text said anything of that nature. Having someone go ahead and post those thoughts online really validated my my ideas about the work. It's still like a new part of, of my self-identity, but it's there pretty explicitly, especially for the people who are, are in the LGBTQ community. It's starting to enter my work more explicitly, but I'm also, as a person, very not explicit in my nature. So, and I think that that speaks to my interest in ambiguity because being explicit means like upfront and declared and ambiguity is much more interesting to me. Movement between self and technology and identity and a fluidity in that nothing is solid and stable. And at the same time, people who talk to me about having seen your work, they describe it as very warm and very uplifting. Other People in Love is an ongoing series of photograms that are made by lining couples' beds with color photographic paper and having them sleep as normal in their beds for one night so the paper is exposed for the duration of their sleep and it's a recording of any of the light that penetrates their bedding and around their body. And the paper also records the movement of the individuals during the night. I've heard people say that they like, they want to cry when they look at them. And part of that is in the titling of other people in love. Other used to mean not me, but now other, which is in parentheses of the title. So other in parentheses, people in love. Now other for me means anyone who is marginalized or attacked by the current administration or current feelings of hate. I included people who I both admired and were jealous of their relationship. It's like, damn, they have a really awesome relationship. So the range of titles can go from Hikaru and Matt, friends whose wedding I photographed even though Matt later told me how in high school he tried to be my friend, but I was an asshole to him. So that's very personal. One is called L and X, co-workers of 10 and two years respectively, one of thousands of families who will be torn apart if DACA is repealed since L was born in the United States and X was born in Mexico. So that opens up the project to a whole new list of questions and concerns and that's really where I'm excited about the project. The process was we would black out the room, make it light tight, strip their bed, line it with paper, make the bed as normal. Whenever they go to bed they take down the black plastic so there's light that comes through their windows. When they get up in the morning, cover the bed as best they can with you know extra blankets, black out the room again, strip the bed, collect the paper, and I just go process it. So they were always like, well, should I move? Should I not move? Like, can I do this? Can I 
be on my phone? Can I be on my computer? Can I watch TV? You can do whatever you just act normal, do your whole normal routine as though you, this weren't even happening. You want to have sex, have sex. You don't want to have sex, don't have sex. You need to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, turn the light on if you need to. The participants are very, a lot of times, confused as to what I wanted. And I don't like want anything like, or I want something, but the something is whatever it comes out. That's what I want. So each, each piece belongs to the people that they're of with the agreement that I'm just holding on to them. If they ever want them, they get them. If somebody wanted to buy it, it would have to be at the approval of the individuals mm -hmm. and they would decide what gets done with the money. I always suggest donating the money to whatever charity or organization they want to. Some of my other work is making work for specific people, like as gifts, not for sale. Sometimes they don't even know it's coming. Mm. It just like shows up in the mail. So I try to keep that spirit going with, with most of my projects. They're all so different visually. And, and, and it really depends on how many windows they have in their room, how big those windows are, what direction those windows are facing. Do they have a street light outside of their window? How far away their bed is from the window? How thick or thin their bedding is? Do they have a bathroom in their room that casts light into the room? Were they on their phone? Was it hot? Was it cold? So how much coverage of blankets were they using? So. All of that has plays a role in what the end visual representation looks like. That, I think, speaks to the variety of relationships and people as well. To describe one, because I think it has a, most of the elements that kind of are across most of them. So it's mainly black. It's almost square. They have a king-size bed. So it is it's really the, the size of it's, the mattress. It's, yeah, it's larger than than body scale. Like it's I'm six one and it's taller than I am, and it's bigger than my wingspan. At the top, you have these kind of white cloud shapes, and that was where their pillows were. In kind of the lower left, lower center quadrant, you have this kind of pink and blue shifting flower mandala pattern, which was the pattern of their sheets. It's mostly black because they had a lot of light in their room somehow. Either they threw the blankets off or light was spilling in the window. The pillows didn't move very much at all during the night. And these aren't like harsh pillow shapes. They're very amorphic. It's white, so it blocked all the light from that area of the paper. And then for some reason, the one area of pattern didn't get as much light. I don't know if that's because a blanket got bunched up there or a dog was sleeping in that one spot. And the paper is very glossy with the reflections and the crinkles in the paper because they're just, they're laying on it the whole night. So it's very crinkly. So that plus the glossy reflections adds this kind of distorted, fragmented uh, shadow when you look at it. You can't really see your face, but you see your silhouette in it or your- Your, your own out. self. Yeah, yeah. Especially in the black. The black 
becomes highly reflective and you yeah you're walking around it the lights are changing you see reflections of other people in it you see reflections of other pieces in it i'm really interested in the ambiguity of the individuals we we don't see people we barely see silhouettes that's where people can really explore the work their image of what the couple looks like to them in their mind but i'm interested in challenging that or asking the viewer to confront those assumptions. I'm very interested in abstraction, but also portraiture. I see the photograms as portraits, 100%. I don't see them as like abstract photographs. They're of people. I think that some art, it's okay to leave open for interpretation and for some artists to feel like that but for some art and some artists myself included that can be dangerous so really stating where you're coming from and what you believe in is becoming a lot more important both i think in our society and for me personally because if it's too open then there's a potential for a real dangerous misinterpretation of and work what do you mean by dangerous like so if i didn't tell if if i didn't title my my bed photograms as specific as i do then people might you know it, it's open to interpretation they don't know what i want them to know about these people and if i'm gonna create something like this I want it to be clear, like, what my politics are. Same thing with knowing where my work ends up in terms of, like, ownership. Trying to be mindful of not only where my art comes from, but where it goes. It's just an important part of my practice to know, like, who has a piece of my work. It's not, a, like, a system without flaws. Like, you know, people change their minds. People change party lines, people's hearts change. You know, the personal is political. I believe that I have the title correct. Search field, color checker size, exactly 600 by 600 PX. And so it honest. continues. Yeah, yeah. It's a three-dimensional piece. It's it's very designed. It's very, you know, it looks, it's really pretty and just looks very benign and beautiful. Mm -hmm. Very and inviting. Very inviting. Yeah. And then maybe this is one of those that, you know, you, it punches you at some point down the road with like, oh. Um, I think this one may like flick or slap. So the piece was made with a series of interventions both with software and with hardware like just challenging the hardware and the software asking it like can you do something else like i'm going to try to use you for something that you weren't really designed to do and what what can i get when i just like keep doing that over and over again so first i get a term in this case it's color checker Color checker is a tool that's used in photography to color balance. So you take a picture of it with your subject, and when you color balance it, you compare the print to the thing in life, and they match, it's color balanced. Anyone who's ever seen a color checker or knows anything about photography would pick it up right away. So 
I plugged this into Google a color checker into the image search. And, and as of this recording, this is how Google image search functions. I don't know how it's going to change in the future, but as of right now, when it's loading an image, it just gives a color. So it's just all these colored squares or rectangles. And as it loads, it fills in with the image. So I was looking at that as this weird digital abstraction, like who made that decision to render the internet like that. So then I went in and you can control more. So like, okay, like what if I, right now it doesn't look like a color checker because all the, all the tiles are different sizes. You know, you have some big, some small. So you can go in and control the pixel dimensions of the images that it gives you. So I just made it square because that's what a color checker looks like. It's just squares, square swatches. So then you get like a grid, but you know, if your internet's too good, it, they load too quickly for you to get a screenshot. So I would just like walk away from my Wi-Fi and, you know, turn my LTE off, turn my data off. So it's like, it's only, it's like struggling and searching for this Wi-Fi. So I'm just like in the middle of a parking lot, you know, in the middle of the night, like taking screenshots of my phone, like scrolling through. So then importing into Photoshop, resizing, uh, stitching them together and make this, this large document. From there, it's just very systematic in terms of what Photoshop does using a um, kind of like a one, two, three process or rhythm of editing using its its aspect ratio, its form. It's a very long, skinny rectangle at this point when I laced, when I stitched them all together and it just looks like a bunch of colored squares. There's another order that I have created to the geometry of the piece. So the next kind of hurdle was that the printers, they have like a, a limit to how long of a print they'll make and I went way over that limit. So I had to use what's called RIP software, which is a software to be able to print very large images. It's used in like commercial printing and sign, sign makers use them. So I was able to get over that. Then I kind of was like, well, if I'm already like messing with, you know, how the internet should work, like nobody like purposely gets shitty internet. People don't usually look at Google image searches for the, you know, the non-loaded images. They want a picture. People usually use these Photoshop tools for very specific things, not in the ways that I was using them per se. But the last kind of step was like the printer and paper. Like how do I make the printer and paper kind of to use a Jason Lazarus term misbehave. So I just let it print and I didn't collect it. It took like six hours to print and it would just roll on top of itself, fold and fold. And then to exhibit it, I just put it on its end and it kind of unfurls. Just trying to just think about in photography in different ways, not limiting it to something that goes on the wall or something that's a rectangle. I never used a lens per se, but I mean, I took pictures of things in a new way that we take pictures with screenshots. Like how can I use this in a different way than someone told me to use right. it? So like my body, that tree, I don't know, like how can we use these things in other ways that challenge how we've been told to use them? Yeah. Inventing my own rules, inventing my own processes, but 
there's still like a system to it mm-hmm. and that system can evolve. I study with some of the painting professors and I do photo, but sometimes they give the best insight into your work. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so very much. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. it was Pat, great. Pat Bakary, exciting new work. I, I can't wait to see what you're doing in five years and 10 years from now. Oh, very I can't exciting. wait to see what I do next month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for this next semester. I'm Barbara St. Clair, and you've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, and if you're enjoying this program, we hope you'll take a moment to give us a review. It's easy to subscribe to on your favorite podcast service. You can find more conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists and in-depth arts journalism at creativepinellas.org. Thank you for listening.